Let me introduce myself to you. My name is Howard Douglas Banks, Jr. My dad was Howard, so rather than have two Howards in the house, I became Douglas. For years, I've gone by the H. Douglas Banks, Jr., and then when Social Security took over, I found out that they only know me as Howard D. Banks. But uh, Doug is my name, what I go by. Uh, Some of you already know me, and God will forgive you for that. And those of you who don't, understand that this memory is not as well worked as it once was. But we got the uh, church with all the pictures. Uh, We'll study it and try to pick out two or three names that we've not known before. I was saved on the ninth day of January 1954. I was called to preach on October 31st, 1959. I was ordained into the gospel ministry on September 4th, 1961. Uh, I'm familiar with those things, may not know what I had for breakfast yesterday. But some of you have an understanding of uh, short-term memory, what comes and what goes. All things that seem to have the greater interest interest to me happened like 50 years ago. Now, that make it sound like an old guy, but uh, I've got some years, but I don't feel old. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes on a sparrow, and I know he watches me. But you see, we, uh, we forget a lot of times our responsibility to share Christ with others, uh, I was with a preacher friend one time, and he said that uh, he was sitting at the lunch counter having a cup of coffee, and another fellow was sitting next to him. And uh, he asked the fellow, he says, well, does your cup ever runneth over? And he said, uh, the fellow he was talking to, yeah, these waitresses are awful sloppy. And then he used it as an opportunity to witness to the joy that he had in his heart that he might share with others. I like to have folks say, well, how are you doing today? And I say, well, I woke up this morning feeling fine. I woke up with heaven on my mind. Oh, it's so good to be saved, and I know that I'm saved. Well, I am part of the Banks clan from Fayette County. Uh, Banks, the woods is full of Bankses. Unfortunately for me, I'm like Louis Grizzard. Louis Grizzard said he was a prisoner of war in Chicago. Come in. <clears throat> he was a prisoner of war in Chicago for three and a half years, and he came back to Georgia. Well, I, uh, my dad was born in East Point, but I was born and raised in New Jersey. Uh, and I moved down here to the sunny south in 1954. It was a good move. And let me tell you why it was a good move. And I think this is really important for our young people as well. Uh, or, Older folks, we kind of get sat in our ways and think there's no responsibility for us because we've done all of our labors in the past. Well, that's not so. The president of my high school graduation class, Kenneth Goldman, Kenny told me one time several years after he'd finished one of his uh, opportunities to serve the Lord in Ethiopia as a missionary, buried his five-year-old son over there. And Kenny said, I have one great concern and care in my heart 
because I never witnessed to any of you guys. Witness to your classmates. You don't know the word that you dropped today at any age may have everlasting results in their life. And so it was with me. I was raised in a Catholic home. My grandfather was born in Italy. He came here as a legal alien in 1895, did what is required, became a naturalized citizen, raised his family and nine children, and said, we'll all speak English in our house. Uh, that's good, too. But being an ex-Yankee had some problems. When I'd come with some people and carry on a conversation, they'd say, you're not from around here, are you? Now, I don't have that many people say that anymore, uh, maybe because I've lived here a long time. Uh, I can still tell when some actor or actress tries to talk Southern on the television. Uh, doesn't that get you? It gets you riled up. No. And let me tell you something. What God has done for me, he can do for anyone. I like to tell people what Christ has done for me. Uh, my testimony is no different than any others. I was lost. I wanted to get saved. And Jesus saved me. I shared some of this with, uh, with our pastor. When I was 15 years old, I had a, my grandmother had recently passed away. And I wondered what happened to her after she died. Was she in purgatory, on the way to heaven, or what? I asked the priest, my pastor there at St. Anthony's Catholic Church in Bloomfield, New Jersey, Father, what happens to me after I die? And he said, well, it's all according. Uh, all according to what? All according to the most important thing is not dying with unconfessed sin on your soul. Well, Catholics have their uh, sins categorized into venial sins and mortal sins. If you don't go to church on Sunday when you could have an opportunity to and you don't confess it, it's a mortal sin and some other things, holy days of obligation, and uh, uh, some I don't even remember. And I thought, if I've got to get to heaven in some kind of slipshod manner like that, I haven't got a chance. I was alienated from the church when I went into the service and met some chaplains there that uh, were not any better off than I. Uh, there were some difficult years. But you see, I had a hunger in my heart and I didn't know what to do about it and no one seemed to want to tell me about it and when I first attended Second Baptist Church in East Point at the invitation of my cousin and I attended there in a Sunday school he said you need to come to Sunday school if you're going to work with our Boy Scouts I said okay and after attending there for about three months I talked to the pastor and said I I've got a question, and I, I wonder if you could drop by the house and give me an answer or two. He said, be glad to, and he did. Thank you, Bill Stevens, for being faithful to the Word of God. He came by the house, and he shared with me the fact that I was lost, like everybody else was lost. 
And that if I wanted to be saved, I needed to call upon Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. Uh, He introduced me to Christ by what we affectionately call the Roman road, all of the scriptures that we need to find in order to know that we're lost and in order to know what to be saved are found in the book of Romans. He missed a blessing because he gave me all the information and he said, I'll see you at church tomorrow. And he left. Oh, don't ever leave somebody hanging in the lurch like that. You don't know what might happen. The Holy Spirit of God clutched my heart and even while I was in the tub, I asked him to save me. And from that time till now, I've been saved. And forever, I'm going to be saved. And I got to thinking, why didn't someone tell me this before? We all have the responsibility to tell others about Jesus Christ. Well, we have an example of that in the book of Acts chapter 16. The great question is asked. And the great answer is given. Maybe just fill you in a little bit on what was going on before that. Uh, If we go back, say, into uh, the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, this exciting book of history, you get started and you can't quit, you know. Start reading chapter 1, and before you know it, you're all the way to the end of it. Exciting times. Like, to me, the book of Exodus is exciting times because, because we see God working in our midst. But in the, about the 12th chapter of Acts, uh, we find that uh, uh, because these people have been uh, ruined, so to speak, uh, when Stephen was stoned to death, And these people who had assembled on the day of Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts uh, were uh, interested in what could make this man do such a thing as to surrender his life to to such an estate that he would allow himself to be killed. Well, in these exciting times, Herod decided to kill James. And it pleased the Jews so much, the religious leaders of the day, he said, well, let's look around and we'll get a hold of Peter. And he got Peter and had him jailed. And he, he could have just went ahead and uh, had him slain then, but this was just at the Passover. And he thought, well, rather get these, uh, these religious fanatics upset too much. I'll wait till after the Passover, uh, and then we'll kill him. Well, Peter was in the prison uh, in uh, chains, and he had uh, uh, the soldiers there guarding him in the cell and outside the cell. And the people uh, at Mary's house were praying for him. Uh, I don't say exactly what they were praying for, but they were praying for him, either that he would be released or that he'd be escaped uh, or certainly be ready to meet God. And we're told that uh, they were praying without ceasing. That's a way to pray. I'll just pray a little old mumbo-jumbo stuff. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray to Lord my soul. That's okay, okay for three or four-year-olds. God wants us to approach the throne of grace boldly, thinking about what he has done and what he will do. 
And uh, an angel came, and the angel of the Lord, and the 16 guards that were there couldn't keep him. And he came out of the prison, and he went and knocked on the door at Mary's house, and one of the girls went there and said, Who is it? And he says, It's Peter. Well, it can't be Peter because he's in jail. She went back and she told the rest of the people that were there, it's somebody at the door says, it's Peter. Well, this happened a couple of times, and they were praying, praying for an answer, and then when it was answered, they didn't believe it. Hey, listen, I'm talking about us. The book of Acts is talking about us, telling us the fact that we pray, and we don't expect an answer. I said a while ago, if you're going to pray for rain, bring an umbrella. Oh, God will do what he says he'll do if we depend on him. And then in Paul's first missionary journey, uh, he, he, was, he was a terrible fellow when it comes to preaching. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, uh, he stood up, he beckoned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a high arm brought them out of it. And he goes on for most of the rest of the chapter giving the history of the children of Israel and what God had done for them and how they escaped the uh, slavery of Pharaoh and how it came into the New Testament and God was still working with his chosen people but the gospel also then was made available to Gentiles. Well, the Jewish leaders didn't like that much. They liked the kind of what meets, might say a closed communion. They didn't like this business. They were the chosen ones of God. And how dare anyone come along and preach to what they considered the heathen? The, the people who had no responsibility to God because they worship other gods. Well, the Jews were filled with envy when they saw some of the things that went on about here. And on his second journey, he was forbidden to preach in Asia and was told that he needed to go elsewhere, and he began his second missionary journey. And we're familiar with the tale where uh, the account where a man from Macedonia said, come and help us. And Paul did as the Macedonian had asked him to do. And when he was doing this, uh, we have the record of the first European convert in Lydia, a seller of purple dye of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, and whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, well, we have the the three steps required for a Christian here. First, and this is at verse 14 of the 16th chapter, this lady whose heart the Lord had opened. Look, our hearts need to be open to the wooing of the Holy Spirit of God. And then she tended to the things that were spoken by Paul. Hey, this is where it's done. We're not reading National Geographic. We're talking about something that's real and something that's eternal. So she listened to the word of God 
And she made her decision, and then she was baptized and, and her entire household. My voice sounds kind of goofy. Uh, it comes and goes. Don't worry. All I have to do is cough real good, and it'll <clears throat> clear up a lot. <clears throat> and there was a certain maiden possessed of a spirit that followed Paul around and said, these men are of God. Listen to what they have to say. And she did that, and then finally Paul said, we've got to do something with this spirit because it's interfering with the Holy Spirit, and he commanded the spirit to come out of her. Hey, that's great, except that she had some people who were looking after her and making a living from the prophecies that she was making. Now, you see, some of these things are kind of strange to us today because everything is somewhat cut and dry, right? We, we know what's going on. Hey, these people were still uh, nursing their injuries uh, over Stephen being stoned, and even Paul had been stoned, and James had been beheaded. They were in some tough times here. But Paul was invited to preach, and boys like Sam, shake him to a dog. He preached, and people were saved. And the demon was removed. This spirit was removed from this woman. And then the people who, who were making their living off her prophecies uh, became filled with envy. So what was the thing that they did then? They reported him, Paul and Silas, to the local magistrate. And the magistrate said, uh, you can't do that because... This is a Roman colony, and you're speaking about some of these things that you have no right to, of which to speak. And they locked him up. Ah. These people, every time you turn around, somebody's in jail. And every time you turn around, God's doing something miraculous to have them escape the jail. And they're in the 16th chapter where uh, at the midnight hour, Paul and Silas are singing hymns and praise to God. You'd like that, wouldn't you, Chris? They, these, these folks were in the midst of a trial and a tribulation, and they were singing the praises of God, the hymns of the day. Mm. And they were singing so loud in the midst of their, their misery that the other prisoners heard them. And the guard was hearing them. And the next thing we know that the earthquake had come and they were loosed from their bonds. The chains had fallen off. And the guard, the chief guard, was told, look, you look after them. If not, we're going to take your life. And he was worried. He got the sword. He said, I'd rather kill myself than have the disgrace of the government killing me. And Paul said, hey, wait. Do yourself no harm. We're all here. We've been singing. We've been rejoicing. God has been hearing us. And the earthquake and the chains falling from us is a direct act of God. God worked miracles then. He works miracles today. May not be in an earthquake. But let me tell you something. If you have a roaring 
in your heart when you've come to meet Christ as a personal Savior and things that once were are no longer the same and that you have a hope, a heavenly hope, a blessed hope that one day you'll be into the presence of our Lord and our Savior in the throne room of God as we spoke this morning. Oh, why would anyone want to miss that? Ah, let me tell you something. If we can get people to listen to what we have to say, they won't want to miss it. They want to have the same rejoicing in their hearts that we have and the responsibility to tell them lays at our feet. How are they going to hear except someone tell them? That's our responsibility. Any age? Young people? Old people? Any kind of people. The responsibility never leaves us. And the jailer, in the midst of all of this trial, concerned for his life and thought that the prisoners had escaped, he came running in there and he brought these prisoners out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> oh, what great words those are. Have you ever had someone say, What must I do to be saved? Hey, if you get around enough, you're going to have opportunity. We went to a cottage prayer meeting one time prior to revival way back yonder, 100 years ago. And we were invited there by the lady of the house because she had a husband that needed to get straight with God. So we had our cottage prayer meeting. We brought a little message there, and the people prayed. And then uh, invitation, opportunity given for this man to make a decision for Christ. He didn't want to make a decision for Christ. Let her do it. So I asked the lady, I said, well, how about you? Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Uh, she invited us to minister to her husband when she herself was not saved. And she said, well, what must I do to be saved? Hey, that's opening the door for a nutcase preacher to present the Roman road. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Not might be, hope be, but we shall be saved. Imperative. Shall. But you see, we don't have those things happening to us because our witness has grown stale. We don't seize opportunities to tell others about the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Well, they asked, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. He invited them to be to dinner, washed the wounds of the, from the beating he had given to them. His whole family was saved. The ministering to one man had stretched out into others. <clears throat> oh, if we could just have that understanding that there are people out there waiting for us, waiting for you, waiting for me to tell them about Jesus Christ. Classmates, office mates, 
neighbors, kinfolks, people that need to know Christ. But we've not done anything yet to where we've encouraged them to ask, what must I do to be saved? So we've got to seize the opportunities. We've got to make the opportunities. Well, how do you feel this morning? Well, I woke up this morning feeling fine. I woke up with heaven on my mind. But I don't get a response almost every time. And if you want to sing it, that's okay too. There are so many opportunities as a, just in normal conversation where someone can open up the door for us to bear a witness to them that they might know Christ and the free pardon of sin. Our responsibility is to tell others. Jesus' responsibility is to save them. And the Holy Spirit of God hovers about the hearts of these who are inquisitive. And we never know. We don't know what it's going to take, what's going to make the spark. When I was in boot camp, <clears throat> we had a young fellow. I remember his name was James Dempsey. And when we got finished with our day's work, we carried on like 17 and 18-year-old boys would do. That's what we all were. Uh, a lot of horseplay, all kind of stuff. Not James. He sat on his bunk, opened his great big old Bible on his lap every day and read from the Word of God. And we threw pillows at him, and we threw shoes at him, and we called him all kinds of names. And finally, it wasn't any fun because he didn't pay attention. He just continued to study his Word. Well, I'll tell you something. That had an effect on me. We never know when we might do something uh, like, like James did, just reading his Bible will have an effect on someone else. Such a simple thing. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shall be saved in thy house. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that it's powerful and sharper than, quicker than any two-edged sword. I'm thankful, God, that thy word separates religion from Christianity. Lord, we don't have to be religious to get to heaven, but we need to be saved, born again, to get to heaven. Help us to discern the difference between the two. If there's a decision that needs to be made here tonight, whatever it might be, if there's a lost person, needs to be saved. If they're unchurched, they need to become possibly a part of this fellowship. If there's a decision that needs to be made in their act of service, uh, they should make it today. But God, we give it into the hands of the Holy Spirit. We ask you to do what needs to be done. And for every victory, we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.